Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the show, Confessions of a Creative Director, the only podcast made by a creative director for creative directors and those aspiring to be creative directors. Yeah. And on today's show, we have uh, perhaps the consummate creative director, Ed Miller. This guy's resume reads like a who's who of the advertising and marketing world. He's worked for or with agencies like Shia Day, BBDO, Saatchi and & Saatchi, and Inotion on brands like Absolute, Hyundai, Toyota, just to name a few. He's done uh, a lot of cool stuff. And what I like about Ed is that he's very well-rounded. He's done everything from traditional TV spots and radio and print to experiential to experimental stuff. Uh, this guy has really done it all. So I'm excited to have him on the show. As you know, for the past several episodes, we've had folks that uh, mo- mostly like me are working in experiential. So it's nice to hear and talk to somebody who's been doing all sorts of different things in the advertising and marketing world. So without further ado, let's get into it. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome Ed Miller. Hey, Ed, how are you? Fine, thank you. Excellent. Hey, thanks for joining. Um, hopefully this will give you a little a little respite from the uh, cabin fever and we can have a little bit of fun talking shop. Um, and, it's, and it's great to have you on the show because uh, up to <clears> now, uh, this will be episode number four. Up until this point, I've mostly been interviewing or I have been interviewing people that work in experiential exclusively. And so I'm glad to have you on because you have done a lot of different things things. You've done uh, commercials, you've done experiential, you've done digital. So it's really great to have a different perspective. Um, I've done some of those things as well, but for the last 12 years, I've mostly been focused on experiential. So it's great to have somebody with a different perspective. So typically what I do to start off the show is I always ask people, creative directors, how they define the role of a creative director. Everybody sees it a little bit differently. So I'd love to hear your point of view, given what I've just said about sort of your wide range of experience. I read this book a long time ago called Up the Agency. 
it's out of pub publication now, but uh, you could probably still find it on Amazon. But it really kind of outlined, you know, how an agency, how an upstart agency works, and, and then how it becomes an established agency. And it went in and named all the people at an agency. And for creative director, it said the person who manages the people that most need to be managed, that least want to be managed. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like is that true? Is that, is that really what it said? Yes. <laughs> and I've kind of that that resonated with me. And um, you know, creative people they will come up with all kinds of things, but there has to be someone that is the adult in the room, right? And that's the creative director. So, you know, I give them, I encourage them to go out and, and take risk, but then I also have to be the one to, uh, you know, to catch them if, you know, if we start to go off the rails. So, you know, I have a few guys that have called me coach over the years. I like that. Yeah, coach is, coach is probably a better name than, than some others that maybe they say behind our back. But uh, coaches, I'll take coach. That's a, that's a good one. I like that. Um, so tell us a little bit about your path. Uh, again, I mentioned you've done all kinds of things. You worked for agency. You worked for freelance. It sounds like maybe you've also started up some, some agencies. So just kind of give us a, a little bit about your journey to uh, where you are now. Well, I've been telling people I was going to be an artist since I was eight years old. And then I went to university and in the art department, but uh, this was at Auburn University, and the uh, graphic design and art were all one department. And I suddenly saw how I could monetize art. And, uh, and so I discovered something called an art director there. I'm like, that's what I've been looking for. I can think of things that I can't physically draw or do or whatever that, and that created the path. I got a job from there. Uh, Auburn is in Alabama. I got a job in Birmingham. I was at the hottest shop in Birmingham, and I realized that, okay, <laughs> all right, but uh, you know, it's the hottest shop in Birmingham, so uh, I felt like I needed to go somewhere. And I was only ever lived in Alabama, so all big cities looked the same to me. I ended up in Washington, D.C. Figured out that really wasn't an ad town. It was a good uh, design town, a good PR town. But, um, and so I'm there, and then Shiat Day comes to town that they want to open a branch there to uh, service Nissan. And I'm employee number three. I'm the first outside hire. I'm like, oh, I finally made it. Shiat Day. Shiat Day, wow. Okay. Well, most people say, they have an office in Washington, D.C. <laughs> they don't anymore. But uh, that's when I found out what a field agency, see, a field office is. And so stayed there uh, for a while and found out the difference between a field office and a home office. And it was clear that I wasn't going to go anywhere in Shite Day unless I got to New York or L.A. And I had... Um, a manager that I inherited that wasn't the guy that hired me that uh, just didn't want to let that happen. And a bunch of guys had jumped ship at Shy Day and went to an agency called Suisa Miller when they got the Acura account. And um, there's a, a guy there named Bill Flora who just 
really wanted me there. He talked, David Sweet said, that, to hiring me because he wanted a creative person who would actually get some work done. Uh, the, um, so he, he brought me out here, and I've been in California for 20 years or more. Excellent. And then the way that you and I met is I've been working for Advantage and Advantage, uh, one of our biggest clients is is Hyundai. You were working for for um, the Hyundai account as well, but you were over at the agency side uh, in Ocean. And and, I, I, and it's funny that you mentioned Auburn because I remember you're a huge Auburn fan when uh, when you guys were doing when we were all doing really college football, we were doing the experiential side. You, you guys were doing the commercials. I, I do remember you getting super excited because you were going to get to Auburn. I believe you went and shot some of those some of those spots. Is that correct? That's true. That's true. Funny, funny. My favorite thing I ever wrote was during that campaign, but it was about University of Alabama. So for an Auburn grad to write something about University of Alabama, but it was a a, a story we had to license of a couple who decided not to go to their daughter's wedding. They went to the Alabama-Tennessee game instead. And, uh, you know, the campaign was about loyalty. And, uh, the, uh, we thought that was pretty loyal. We had, we had to find those people and, uh, and license their story. But, uh, you know, that was a lot of fun. I was employee number two at InOcean. InOcean grew out of World Marketing Group when they decided they wanted to start to make the advertising as opposed to just place the advertising. I got hired by Jim Sanfilippo because, again, he wanted a creative that would actually get some work done. So, <laughs> so I want to talk a little bit about uh, Toyota because there's a, there's a project that I think is, is really great, and I'd love for you to tell our listeners a little bit about. But who are some of the other clients that you work for? So we talked about Hyundai, uh, but who are some of the other clients that you've done work for? When I was at uh, Shite Day, they merged with TBWA, and then I got an opportunity to work on Absolute, which a lot of the people that have worked on that for years, of course, they were tired of working on it. And it was something brand new for me and my crew. And so they only do, back then, they did about 20 things a year between magazine, outdoor, what have you. There wasn't much digital back then. And we turned in 250 ideas because this was something new to us, you know, and I think we ended up getting three out of 20 published. So that was a, a really fun one for me. I came out here. I, people always say, are you a car guy? And I'm like, I didn't find cars. Cars found me. I came out here. I, my first uh, car job was the, the Washington, D.C. area Honda dealers. And then that's when I got the regional Nissan job. And then I got the Acura job, came out here. Acura to Hyundai, uh, Hyundai to Lincoln Mercury, Lincoln Mercury to Dodge Chrysler Jeep. When they pulled the plug on that office out here, I built a West Coast office for BBDO Detroit. That's when Mercedes owned it and the Germans pulled the plug on the office. I decided I was a director because I directed about 30 spots for them. And then after about 18 months, I realized what I actually was, was unemployed. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And then um, right after that, I went back to to Shiat to help them open an office uh, in Nashville because the client had moved there. And while I was flying out there to be there in perpetuity, I got, this was a little long ago, I still had a PDA, right? And I got an email, job offer. I can't open it. (laughs) 
And so I have to fly all the way to Nashville because uh, I was changing planes in Denver to find out that I'd been offered this job back in L.A. on Hyundai so with the, to open an ocean. And, and that gets us back to you know, where you and I met and how I got interested in uh, experiential and making that part of one big thing, like a big 360 campaign. And I think we probably met when I did Hyundai Uncensored because we were getting a lot of pressure from the dealers to do testimonials. And so I challenged my guys to come up with a totally new way of doing it. And so we wired eight cars with uh, you know three to five cameras each and just let people drive off in the cars and say anything they wanted. And we created these events and it became hard advertising. So it was both. And that really made an impression on me. It's like, boy, we were getting these unvarnished comments and we were making these things that were so, they were memorable and credible. And you know, we did several other things like that after that. I think uh, you and I did um, National Fuel Economy Month and we had four simultaneous events on National World Ecology Day or something like that. But then that gave me what the power of, uh, of adding experience to paid media advertising and bringing those things together, which brings me to the thing you just asked me about was Toyota. A guy that I had hired back when I worked uh, for regional Nissan right out of college, a guy named Chris Adams. I gave him a job as a writer and I told him even back when he was like 23 years old, one of these days I'm going to end up working for you. I've worked for him three times since then. And he, by this time, I had left in Ocean and I wanted to freelance because I wanted to explore this. And there just wasn't at in Ocean, they kind of wanted to go back towards tier three. And I wanted to do this. And he calls me up one day and says, I think we might have something for you to do. He's now, uh, he and his partner are the co ECDs on Toyota at Saatchi. And they had an inventory problem on Camry, which when, Cam when Camry falls out of first place, Toyota gets nervous. And so they bring me over there. They had seen some really slick photography I'd done. They think they're going to do a couple of running footage commercials. People don't know what that is. That's when you see cargoes this way, cargoes that way, price at the end. You know, the, uh, not the most creative stuff that we do, but uh, I agreed to do it. I, I took the job and I got their research and the research said, that you couldn't get to the sales numbers without young people. And young people said, the car is so ugly, I don't even want to sit in it. <laughs> is that right? Okay. <laughs> well, that's a, that's definitely a, that's a brief. That's definitely a brief you can work against. And so I said to them, I said, I can do these commercials that you, you're talking about, but... I don't think there's any picture that I can shoot that will be pretty enough to make people want to sit in a car they think is too ugly. And I said, it seems like to me, we need to come up with a reason for them to want to get in the car. And so they agreed to let me explore that. And I had to do this. There, there was no scope. It was, you know, it was incremental media. So the first day I meet with the client, I said to him, 
Uh, I understand this is incremental media. That means there was something you wanted to have happen that's not happening. And he goes, right. And I said, but what it doesn't mean is, oh, we get to bring back the stuff you killed before because you don't have time to kill it again. And he goes, right. And he and I uh, got along famously from that point forward. So I did show them the conventional, you know, running footage solution, but I had to borrow creatives from other from other teams. I ended up executing this with one team and a, a Mac artist. That's it. And we did this, you know, this full 360 campaign. And, we, you know, we started thinking, like, what's excitement? And, you know, things like that, you know, immediately are excitement. And we got to, uh, you know, like when you're on like Splash Mountain or, uh, you know, and it takes your picture. And, you know, and that's the most exciting point was like, how do we get to that? And we're like, yeah, what could we do like that? It's like, what if we built a giant roller coaster? And we're like, okay, of course we can't do that. And then what if we did do that? And we pitched it, and that's how we got to Camry Thrill Ride. We built a giant roller coaster in the parking lot of Magic Mountain and then got 200 people a day through it over Labor Day weekend. And we used stunt drivers. And I mean, this thing was going three stories up like a roller coaster. Yeah, I remember I remember that spot. So how did you guys how did you guys build that? I mean, how did that how did you do that? We had seen this thing called Hot Wheels for Real. And it was done by uh, Bandito Brothers. And so for uh, Mattel, they had built that Hot Wheels loop to loop and actually built a car that would do it, right? And they made a, a viral video out of that. And we went to them and only one other company because, I mean, it was so specialized and we had to get it done so quickly. They were used to engineering something like that. And so we needed something that looked dynamic and would make people squeal, but was safe enough to operate. And, uh, and we were able to do that. And so we didn't just make a commercial. We said, okay, what are all the things we could possibly do while we, and this thing's only going to be here for two days. Right. But we did things like um, we found eight points on the, the course and did 360s. And then we had like a homepage takeover. So like you could get to that point and see what a person saw that day, you know, in uh, 360 degrees. We did uh, uh, another one where we put eight cameras on a car and rode through there. And so when in that uh, online video, you could change the, the point of view of the camera as it went through. So it's very interactive. And my favorite part of it was we wanted to get to that picture like you and I were talking about a minute ago. And it kept being a lag time because we were thinking that'd be a great thing to share online. And the first thing that they said uh, to get it from our actual shoot would take like six hours. So we're having a meeting with them. They said, well, if we do it natively on a cell phone, we can cut that down. Great. How long? Three hours. Like, okay, I don't think you really got as much there. But they had already found these harnesses to put cell phones in. I'm like, wait, who's not going to have one? Why don't we just let people use their own? We'll just take them and then, um, you know, put theirs in there and let them record it. And then it solved all these problems, right? That the, now that people are broadcasting themselves, we didn't even have to vet them. 
And the campaign started from the second we started the first run. And so people are putting it up and, you know, we have a hashtag for them. We got texts on the other end that are like, hey, hi, May, are are you on Instagram? How would you like for this to be your first Instagram post? Let me show you how to open an account. And when we left that meeting, the uh, producer of production company leaned over to me and goes, you just saved me about two hundred thousand dollars. <laughs> <laughs> that's so, always good. So, <laughs> that's the best kind of, of idea. And I mean, that's really—I I love that because you took something that was an experience at, at its core, but then created a whole campaign around it, and and really sort of picked the uh, all the meat off the bone, right? You figured out how can we get the most out of these two days and this amount of money that we've invested in creating this roller coaster? How do we get the most assets and most usable little things that, that we can, which I think is, is really smart. And I think a lot of people don't realize that, you know, even when you're dealing with some of these big brands, budgets aren't always what you think they are. And you have to uh, think on your feet, you have to be clever, and you have to try to extract as much value as, as possible. When you get on, like, a, you know, we were on a winning streak here, right? And people start to work together, and it got even better. I mean, we wanted to put branding all around the site, and the producer, the broadcast producer, is like, I am totally out of money. And the print producer goes, I'm under budget. Hey, what if I produce those for you? I've always wanted to go to the shoot and I'll just install them for you. It would be cheaper than you could have gotten from the production company anyway. And as we're leaving that meeting, the agency producer goes, I've been here 20 years. I've never seen anyone offer up part of their budget before. But, you know, we were all like rowing in the same direction. You know, the, what you were saying a second ago, but the thing I like about this is this project started as an inventory sell down. And we turned it into a can entry. And how did it? How did it? How did it fare at can? It it didn't. It did not uh, shortlist. But I've met a, several guys that were judges that year that said I voted for it. I don't know what happened. <laughs> hey, that's that's uh, that's pretty great. And it also kind of speaks to the kind of idea of pushing back, right, on on clients' initial thoughts because sometimes they have a thought on how to do something, right? So in this case, it was like, we have all these vehicles, we got to move, you know, where they're not selling, we got to move them. So let's do a, a running footage uh, spot, right? And, and you were smart enough to look at the data and say, I don't think that's going to work. And pushing back and really being able to convince them that there's probably a better solution. How do you do that? Because... Well, that's exactly what I was about to say. And, uh, you know... I've been on the retail side and the promotional side a lot. And of course, our budgets are always smaller. So we ended up having less money for staff as well. So that means you have to hire a lot of young people. But they're also a blank sheet of paper. Now, of course, their instinct is, let's not show anything we don't want to, you know, we don't want to do. That's what they'll buy. And I found that just the opposite of that is true. If you will always show the client what they ask for and then say, but we would be remiss if we didn't show you our best thinking, nine times out of 10, they'll go with the best thinking. I mean, when we presented this thing, we gave them exactly what they asked for and we just showed them the one other idea. Sachi, we did have other concepts and they're, 
the Saatchi management just went ahead and said, let's just go in with these two. And the client, the one I mentioned a minute ago, looked at the rest of us after the presentation goes, well, there's really only one choice here. One of his uh, crew said, what about the money? He goes, it's Camry. We'll find the money. We'll post a link to it so that folks can see it if, if they haven't seen it uh, already. But uh, it sounds like it, it, it did fairly well catching attention and, and possibly winning some awards. What did it do to the overall challenge uh, of, of moving, moving metal, as they say, in the business? How did, that, how did that turn out? It cleared them all out. I got the assignment in June. It went on the air in October. The, and here's what the pressure point was. They were two months behind, and the new car, the new Camry, was coming out the next March. And we cleared out all of that inventory before the new car came out in March. That's awesome. And that kind of leads me into something that we, we talked about previously, which is this idea uh, around problem solving, right? And, and I think we were, you and I were having a conversation, and we were talking about what's, the, what's sort of the most important skill to have as a, as a creative director? What do you think is an important thing for a creative director to be able to do? And, and before I finish my, my thought, you said problem solving. So t- tell me a little bit about what, what that means. Obviously, you've demonstrated it in this, um, in this case study, but what else do you think is important about problem solving? Can it be taught? Is it something that um, you know, you're just born with or, or can people learn how to do this? It, it can totally be taught, and that's something that I always try and teach. The guy that I mentioned earlier that brought me out here to California, Bill Flores, the first person to call me a problem solver. And, you know, I was a creative. I was kind of offended at that at first. And then the more I thought about it, the more I'm like, yeah, I kind of like that. Whenever I start something with a group, like an Ocean. When I was able to build my channel completely the way I wanted to, my crew, my everything, I didn't have, I didn't say these guys are digital, these guys experiential, these guys, we, we built one team and, you know, there were people that had certain client contacts more often than others, but anything big, you know, like this or, you know, that's going to have a national buy or, or like the NCAA or whatever, I'm trying to get everyone together, and then I also really don't like permanent partners either because I think people, you know, you get to date instead of be married. (laughs) So, right, uh, right, right. uh, Okay. And so um, I started something at Inocean I call media neutral ideas. So if we come up with a big idea, then it will shake out to all these other things, just like we talked about with uh, Camry Thrill Ride. So. Same thing, we did that with the NTAA, we were able to do that. And so everyone feels like they have equity in it. So it was like, what is it we're trying to do here? And then let's focus on that. And then we will focus on the executions. Something I tell young people all the time, if you can tell it to me, it's probably a concept. If you have to show it to me, it's probably an execution. So if it's a concept, there's many, many ways to execute it. And now we can get the bigger brain power of all of us, you know, leaning against that. And we'll come up with things we wouldn't have come up with otherwise. 
I like that. That's a, uh, maybe I have to launch a, a line of uh, creative director t-shirts and I think I would put that on there. So if, 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 if you can tell it to me, it's a concept. If you have to show it to me, it's a tactic. Is that what, is that what it was? <laughs> Execution. That's what I call it. The big idea is what's important. Everything else can kind of be figured out, right? And I think that that the big idea, the critical thinking, that's what's really valuable and that's what's really important. Obviously, when you get down to to the tactical execution, you want the very best there as well, but if you don't have a really good concept, you just don't have the legs. You know, you don't have um, the ability to blow things out like you described on the thrill ride. And and just going back to some of the other projects that you mentioned that you and I worked on, you know, for example, on Sonata Uncensored, you were doing your thing. And in concert, we were doing our thing, which was, uh, I believe it was a 10 city ride and drive with all the same kind of branding, all the same kind of messaging. We were also collecting testimonials inside the car so it all worked together same thing with college football you guys were creating these really beautiful football related commercials with all these incredible stories like the couple that you know missed their daughter's wedding to go to the alabama game we were on site at college uh, football games with this cool activation called show your loyalty which reinforced those messaging points i believe we even had the commercials playing but it was all kind of working in concert. And I think that that's really when campaigns work at their best, when everywhere you look, there's, there's a touch point. Rowing in the same direction. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Sometimes we don't, we don't always do that. But when, <laughs> when we do, man, that's when it really gets exciting. And that's really when it works. So we're going to pause for a minute just to thank our sponsors. And we'll be back with more with Ed Miller. Hey, if you're looking to reach the creative class audience, why don't you sponsor the show? Drop me a line at cdconfessions.com. Love to feature you on the show. Talk a little bit about your product or service. And you can reach all those interesting creative people that are listening to my show. And you know they're creative. And you know they're cool. So, again, shoot me a line at cdconfessions.com. All right. And we're back with creative director Ed Miller. You've done all kinds of stuff, which is, uh, you know, it, it's really great that you've been able to get all of your, use all of your crayons, so to speak, right? Um, everything from producing TV spots to creating uh, roller coasters and, and probably everything in between. So you've seen and done a lot of things. So now I'm going to get your take. I want to get your take on a bunch of different topics here. I just want your gut reaction. I want you to shoot from the from the hip, don't overthink it, but give me your answer and then give me a, a brief reason why you choose it. So it's going to be a, typically an A or B question. So I'm going to set a timer. It's called the two-minute hot take. So I'm going to set a timer here for two minutes. If you're able to complete the challenge in two minutes, you will receive a valuable prize, which I keep telling everybody that I'm sending them a prize. I haven't figured out what that is, but we will, we will figure that out. So uh, here we go. I'm starting the clock. And here we go. Okay, film or HD video? Yeah, <laughs> I stumped I'm, him on the first one. I was going to say I'm torn on that because you know I, I love the tradition of film and such, but uh, there's so many things that I've been able to get done uh, because of uh, HD video that I never would have gotten to do before. So you know, because of the Alexa, I'm going to say HD video. Okay, uh, AR or VR? 
Um, yeah. See, I have to think. <laughs> yeah. you're, you're, you're more of a thinker. Yeah. Yeah. yeah um, I think AR. Okay. That's what a lot of people have been saying. Converse or Vans? Throw you an easy one there. I would love for it to be Converse, but uh, as I've gotten old, they don't have enough art support. <laughs> All right. Pen and paper or laptop? Pen and paper. All right. I love that. Uh, studio or indie? In whatever context you want to take that, studio or indie? Uh, um, sounds commercial, but I'm going to say studio because I like things that are planned. Okay, good. Good answer. Uh, horizontal or vertical video frames? Maybe that's more of where you think things are going, but... Uh, horizontal. Yeah, I, I agree. All the way. Big picture or sweat the details? I think we talked about that. Big picture. It's like... If, if we can solve the big picture, the details will take care of themselves. That's right. All right. Uh, Instagram or Twitter? I hate Twitter. <laughs> Instagram it is. <laughs> NFL or MLB? Uh, NFL. All right. And last one. You're going to make it here. Agency or freelance? Agency. I hate looking for work all the time. <laughs> all right. You did it. You completed it in time. Excellent. Okay. So that's interesting. So let me, let me ask you this. If you could go freelance and just have an endless supply of work that you could pick from, that's probably too easy a question, but no, it's not because I've given that a lot of thought. And what I've figured out is what, where I'm happiest is uh, team building and relationship building with the client with, uh, and because you know, what, at first I hired a bunch of young people because that was all I could afford. But now I really like it. I like helping them develop their point of views. Sometimes they teach me. So uh, the um, like you said, pen and paper a few minutes ago, that's something I tried to get my art directors to do for a really long time because I would say I can have 10 thumbnail ideas while you're formatting the page. But then I had to adjust my thinking because they were frustrated by drawing the same thing over and over again. They'd never had to do that. But then my, my solution for that was Wacom tablets. So I got yeah. them all tablets. And so I had them draw, but now they can step and repeat it, right? And, you know, not have to draw a square 12 times and things like that. And they could do that, but I could still get the spontaneity of the computer uh, if you use the regular program, makes you do it right. Yeah. And all we need to know is what the gist of the idea is at this point. And Correct. So those, those are things that I had to learn, right? Because they just couldn't do it the way that I had done it. In addition to that, I mean, how do you sort of mentor your team? How do you, you know, work with your team to try to get the most out of them? And that, those are my dogs howling in the background, by the way. I'm surprised mine hadn't started. The, uh, uh, he marks at all the inopportune times. Uh, there's not any one way to do it, and you have to adjust based on how can I put this person in the position to excel, to do their best work? How, uh, how can I put them in the best position to win? And uh, find ways to get the information out of them or, or what have you. Here's another story. Like I, I had a, um, a writer and... The, uh, you know, I edit a lot of copy and I started using red pens because sometimes 
if you used a, a black pen, they didn't see your, you know, your comments, right? So I started, you know, using red pens a long time ago. And she comes to me one day and goes, it feels like you're grading my paper. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> yeah. and so um, we had an assistant and I said, the next time you order supplies, get me some color that will stand out on white. And not, that's this, not red. That's not. And she brought back a box of purple pens. Hey, I, I've, been, I've been doing that for almost 20 years. And, and so I started marking up the paper with, uh, with purple pens and she's like, it feels a lot better. So I, I've taken that every place I've gone with me since then. And I said that to writers that I've been working with for years. And i like, uh, it's like, was that annoying? He goes, oh, dude, behind your back, we call you red pen Ed. The- <laughs> Again, that's not the, probably the, the worst thing to be called. Um... <laughs> to your point, I find a way to adjust my style to amplify their style. This is kind of a maybe a personal question here, but have you ever found yourself thinking, you know, really kind of pushing for something that you know works or, you know, you've done something a certain way uh, for a while and you're getting pushback on it and, you know, you're getting presented some alternative and you still don't feel that it's right. But do you ever start to question yourself? And start to say, man, am I, am I just being too old school here? Am I not seeing the the new, the new way forward? Uh, has that ever happened to you? I'm just curious because that's something that happens to me sometimes too. And I'm like, man, I'm I'm not. Maybe I'm not seeing this the way I need to be seeing it in this day and age. Maybe I'm too hung up on old methods. Of course, I'm always right, you know, and it always comes back and you know. <laughs> Just the, uh, it's funny that that you say that. It's like I don't like to think that I do that, but I have had people that have worked for me over the years that told me that I, I'm more heavy-handed than I think that I am. And so, what I try and train myself to do is I tell them, "Let's do one that we know will work, and then let's think of anything else after that." Because right. we, we can't show up because I've ended up on retails and promotion, right? Well, almost all of those are judged by committee, right? Yeah. Your funding is going to come by committee. So everyone flies into Dallas or Chicago or New York, and you're not going to get 10 or 12 guys to fly in again the second time. A lot of times yeah. on the brand side, they're like, oh, well, we'll just come back next week. Well, that's not an option. You have to leave there with something to do, right? That, so what I, I started was like, okay, let's get something in here that we know that can sell and then let's push it out as far as we dare. And like I said earlier, nine times out of 10, they go with the, the best thinking, I like to call it. I try and leave air in there for somebody to come up with uh, with with something else. But but I do insist that we have something that we know that will work, that, right. does, that does two things, because we have so many pieces of business where th- there's no option of coming back again in two weeks. Or, or the, uh, the other thing is when you do higher volume accounts, you get more at-bats, right? So if we sold something, then we get a chance to take another swing at them in a month or three months or what have you. Right. 
people don't understand that, you know, like on a lot of brand accounts, they maybe only do five or 10 pieces a year. Yeah. Right? You know, uh, commercials, uh, magazine spreads, what have you. And folks are several different people are all gunning for position to do those few things. They're, uh, for lack of a better term, they're cutting each other's throats, right? Yeah. When you're on a high volume account, you know, my group at, in Ocean did about 120 spots a year. Wow. We did 400 digital pieces, maybe like 100 print pieces. Wow. I look at it this way. When you get more at-bats, you can take, you know, more swings that are a reach. Right. Yeah, that's great. So you mentioned some of these folks earlier, but who have been some of your mentors or or even just can you share some of the best pieces of advice that you've received from mentors as it relates to being in our business, being a creative director? Are there any things that stick with you? The person that influenced me a lot that, like I met in passing twice, was Jay Shiat. Right. But but he built this thing that I subscribe to. Right. And he even in a field office, we could stretch the fabric as far as it would go. Right. We didn't get in trouble for that. You know, and and maybe we didn't have the same kind of, uh, you know, space to work in. Definitely not the budgets, but we still felt like that we were, you know, had that underpinning and just things like Jason Valentine's to everyone in the company every year, even when you were out in the field, right? And uh, I remember I had a daughter that was born and this silver uh, rattle from Tiffany showed up with her initials engraved in it and said it was from Jay. It's like, he didn't do that anymore. There was like, you know, a thousand of us. A local HR person said, write him. He loves hearing stuff like that. He wants to know that that's still happening, you know, and so, uh, you know, all of that influenced me, even though it's hard to say that, that we had a relationship, but it created like a, an environment for me to build my philosophies and, and build off of that and do things like that. You know, when I was at InOcean, I used to have uh, parties that were just my group, right? We would... We'd have crawfish flown in from Louisiana, and, <laughs> you know, and you know we had a balcony there because it's right on the beach. Oh we, yeah, and we'd do this two or three times a year, and you know we would stay till seven o'clock at night. We'd start in the afternoon, and and, and so I got those team building vibes, ideas, what have you, from there, right? I probably I might not have done that if I hadn't have been in an environment that that fostered that. Yeah, I try to do some of those things as well. I don't think I've, I've flown anything, any kind of uh, seafood in from anywhere, but <laughs> we definitely try to do things. And and uh, on a previous podcast, we talked about the uh, my little bar cart. I, I love serving the team. So I will break out my little bar cart. It's, it's fully loaded with any kind of booze that you want. And I'll go around and I'll make you whatever you want. So that's my way of sort of giving back. That was at an agency, right? Uh-huh. The the, what you described was also at, at an ocean, another agency. What do you think is going to happen to the agency model? Is that still viable? Is it, are we looking at the same kind of model or are things shifting? What do you see out there? And I love, by the way, we have similar thoughts. I've always wanted to 
to create an agency that's that's media agnostic. I can't remember the phrase that you use. It was similar, but it's just it's about the uh, you know the idea and you know everything else we'll figure out. But what do you think the 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 new model for an agency looks like? Okay, I'm going to back up and say I always say media neutral because media neutral, yeah. Because I don't know, being from Alabama, I think I avoid the word ag- agnostic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not a popular word there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I gotcha. The, uh, but um, yes, yeah, so, so, same philosophy. What you just talked about with the bar cart. How many? You know, I understand when you marked up someone's proposal. Do you think you got because? you push the bar cart around, you know, because it, it buys goodwill. Sure. Right. And so um, even if you disagree, you still have this relationship, friendship, understanding. Right. Uh, as far as where the agency business is going, I mean, the, the internet has changed everything for the better and for the worst. Yeah. Right. So, like, things that, you know, what we're doing right now would have been impossible if it weren't for the Internet, right? But because the Internet is, is infinite, that doesn't mean that the company's budgets became infinite. And so, like, everyone's jockeying for position. You used to have an AOR, but now you got it. Uh, an AOR, an experiential, a digital. You might even have a separate social agency other than yep. the digital agency. And the they're all um, you know vying for the same chunk of money that the the company decided they were going to spend on getting people to buy their product. And right. so it's made everybody squeeze everything down until. If everything stays specialized, we're just going to keep cannibalizing each other. Uh, so I don't know. Eventually, there will be places that you know that do everything. I mean, that's what I tried to do with my little department. I got to tell you, as soon as I lost my sponsor for that thinking, it became undoable for me because there are uh, so many naysayers saying, oh, you know, you need somebody that only does this. You need somebody that only does that. Yeah. And I, and I, I disagree, but. Yeah, I don't buy that either. Um, I think you can have people that are better at one thing and they can be your expert in that, but they don't have to do that one thing every time. They're like your backstop. I never had radio writers. Yeah. Right. But I did usually have a guy who was best at it, and I would get other people to run their scripts by him, and he would normally have suggestions that would solve problems. Yeah. Right? So, but it wasn't their, uh, you know, he didn't. They didn't give their work to him. It didn't become his work. He right. Was, he was my expert in that area. Yeah. Well, that's that's too bad um, that that happened because I, I do think that that's um, that's kind of I think where things are are moving. So you were you were ahead of the curve there. Um, all right. Well, we've come to uh, we've come to the end of the show. It's time to pay off the name of the show: Confessions of a of a Creative Director. So this is your opportunity to uh, get something off your chest. Confess your creative crimes or whatever it is, or it could be just, you know, some people have talked about a, a little pitch gone wrong or whatever, but uh, the uh, the floor is yours for your confession of a creative director. 
Yeah, when we were talking on the phone, you said this, and I'm like, I know exactly what it is. Uh, it, it is, I don't know everything. Might be my responsibility, but that doesn't mean I know everything. And here's how I came to know that. Back when I was at this uh, agency, Chite Day, we weren't even actually in D.C. We were way out in Reston, Virginia, out by the airport, right? And, and of course, we were there to primarily do move the needle kind of work. And then every once in a while, something comes through that you think you could you know, win an award with. We got this poster job that came in, and I was going on vacation. So I just gave it to uh, a couple other people to do. And I went on vacation and they came back and they had done it. They presented it and the client liked it. And so, you know, I I let it go and uh, they were happy with it. And they were so happy with it. They thought that they had done this really great thing. I'm like, "Uh, it's, it's okay. I don't think it's great. And so when it came award time, I had like a budget to like to enter maybe three things. They want to enter this. Right, and I'm like, I you know, I don't think that this is what I want to use this little bit of budget on. But if you guys want to enter it on your own, uh, you know, you know, we'll stand behind you, the agency. You know that you're not doing this without permission, but I just don't have the budget to fund it. So they yeah. went, they went ahead and entered it. It got in CA magazine. <laughs> it got in CA magazine. And then Lee Clow found out about it. So we had one laminated and sent out to the LA office and he put it on the wall of fame and it had a typo in it. <laughs> All of that happened. And it had a typo in it, even on the wall of fame. And I'm like, okay, I obviously don't know everything. <laughs> that's, that's pretty funny. And it's funny that, that you say that because I've been talking about it a little bit. I was in this, in this, this program called the Alt MBA, Seth Godin's Alt MBA that I just finished it. And as part of one of the assignments, I can't remember what the prompt was, but I ended up writing this little, sort of like a little prayer, really. And it it um, it sort of relates to this. And it's funny because I'll read you a line from that. And it, it says, accept that you don't and can't know everything and that sometimes you don't even know shit from Shinola. So I'm, I'm, I'm glad that you said that because, uh, that's a great takeaway. You know, we, we can't know everything there's, you know, we don't, and we can't know everything. Uh, and sometimes it it can be a little humbling like that. And, but it's also kind of something that you can lean into and just say, okay, well, maybe I don't know that let's explore it a little bit. But, uh, anyway, it's been great having you, uh, on the podcast. I certainly miss working with you and interacting with you. I hope that, uh, that we can, uh, I know we've talked about it, but I hope we can work together again in, in the future and, and bring that holistic approach to uh, to some great campaign here in the future. Terrific. Uh, I would love to do that. We've had fun every other time. So Yeah, that's true. I remember we had a good time uh, in Vegas when we did the uh, the uh, National Mileage uh, Day, whatever that was for, for Hyundai. That was a good time. National Fuel Economy Month, that's what it was. All right. Well, we will talk to you soon, Ed Miller. I will post um, links to some of the stuff that we talked about, especially the the thrill ride, because I think that's a, a great piece of work. I'd love for people to see that. And don't be surprised if some people reach out to you. This this podcast is 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 blowing up. <laughs> so maybe some people will reach out to you. But thanks again for being on the show. And we'll talk to you soon. Take care. Thank you so much.
All right. That's a wrap on episode four of Confessions of a Creative Director. My special thanks to Ed Miller for spending some time with us. I hope you learned something from a master there, master class. Yeah, thanks for tuning in. And, of course, as always, you can find more information on some of the topics that we discussed, links to projects on the website, cdconfessions.com. Our theme music was composed by the unknown band that I still cannot track down. Anybody anybody know who these guys are? I feel bad using the song without, uh, you know, giving them a little something, but can't track them down. So if you know who they are, let me know. And playing us out, as always, is yours truly. The song's called I Want to Drive. It's from my song club. Uh, yeah, hope you enjoy it. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. Take care. Be safe. Stay healthy. And we'll see you on the next episode of Confessions of a Creative Director. See you next time. Peace. My guitar's at a full